What's up, Jay Brones? Live from Brooklyn, New York, and Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada, this is the Torture Rack Podcast. I am your host, Mark Bass. My co host is John F. Malta, and we are very happy to be here with you, our friends in wrestling. John, say something. Let the people know you're alive, pal. Magazines and posters are on their way out. Everything, almost everything is in stock and shipping. By the time this episode gets posted, I think every order will be on its way out to everyone that pre-ordered Torture Act 4 and the Pocket Reader, as well as the posters and t-shirts. Everything's kind of showed up, you know, each day of this week, basically. It's been a cool week. That's amazing. And I just get to keep being excited about things like... I was excited when you were saying that the magazine, like you'd put the the order. I was excited when you sent me the PDF and I got to look at it. I was excited when I saw you holding it in, in, a, in a picture. And I'm going to be so excited when I actually get to hold it myself physically. So yeah, and it'll be on its way to you, my friend, this week, probably by Wednesday, I would say. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it just in going through, it's. It's cool that this is finally here. I mean, this is the ninth episode of this podcast. So for like the last, for most of quarantine, you you and I have been talking about and working on both this magazine and the podcast. Yep. And in going through the magazine, it's been fun to kind of go back and look through the different articles that are in this. Now that I have distance from it, since we spent so much time, you and Thomas both spent so much time proofreading and editing this. Yep. And I spent an equal amount of time designing and illustrating it. So now going back through it, it's that now that people, it's going to be read by people and people listen to this, it's cool going back and seeing the different things we covered and sort of reading through articles that both you and Thomas wrote. uh, And specifically the article you wrote, 20 matches that define the WWE Intercontinental Championship. Uh, Why did you decide to write that for this issue? Well, I knew I wanted to write something about... WWE because no matter how much I complain about it, it is definitely the wrestling promotion that I have the most of a knowledge base for. Although I guess now because we've been watching AEW since the uh, inception, inception, then that, that would now take over. But uh, at the time when we started writing this, believe it or not, this was the most current WWE special available on the network. So I tried to choose something current mm-hmm. so that when people would read it, they you know they could go watch it. Now there has been a lot of things that have come out on the network uh, since then. But uh, yeah, I don't know. The Intercontinental Championship definitely, if I, if I think about what is my favorite title and what title has meant the most to me over the years, it would definitely be the Intercontinental title. What, what would yours be? Over the years, well, I guess the in present day WWE, definitely the Intercontinental title because some of our favorite matches have happened there. AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan recently. And overall, if I'm viewing this through myself as a teenager during the Attitude Era myself now, the hardcore title is probably my favorite title of all of the titles in WWE. Oh, I just meant like titles in general. Oh, like visually do you mean or no not necessarily just like the titles like like when you think of like what's your favorite title let me guess okay it would either for you it it would either be historically well it could be the hardcore title but i was gonna say either the ecw championship or the iwgp just because you're a huge new japan star and like that's obviously the most prestigious belt in the world yes that's it yeah those three pretty much sum it up uh the fmw brass knuckles championship would be in there too 
but yeah, that, th- those three, four, those four, I would say encapsulate all of the things that I love in wrestling and all the things that I have loved in wrestling since I was a kid. The hardcore title specifically, both just for the matches that happened, that was exactly what I wanted to see as a kid. I didn't care about work rate or sort of big title matches. I wanted to see like crazy shit uh, like happening backstage. And as an adult, the IWGP New Japan Heavyweight Championship, you know, is the is the title that uh, I I definitely would say encapsulates my viewing and watching. What w- would the Intercontinental Title be one of yours if you had to make a top three? Historically, this would be the one in my head that I would think the people who always held it were like the coolest and had the best matches. Um, over the most the largest period of my life, this would be it. Currently. I don't know. I really love the AEW championship. Mm-hmm. I love how I love how it looks. I really feel like if Mox lost, that would be a big deal to me. I was so surprised at Naito losing the belt, for right. example, but it didn't shake me to my to my foundations or anything like that. And uh, do you, but you think late, if Mox had lost to Brian Cage Wednesday, you would have felt more shaken? Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. I would have been. I guess because it means more to you, though. Yeah, yeah. More shook personally. Um, but I, I don't think that that's how it's going to be forever. Like, IWGP, it's... I, I, I consider it the most prestigious title in the world. I think whoever holds that title is, like, one of the best wrestlers in the world, no doubt. But, yeah, I don't know. At the moment, AEW, just because I guess I've seen it from the from the very beginning, I know every champion, it, it, it means more to me right now. But also with the Intercontinental title, I wanted to bone up on things I hadn't seen. Like, when I go through this uh, list and I look at them, I had probably seen only a handful of these matches. So, yeah, I, when, I, that's another question I had for you. When when you wrote this, I can't remember, like, when you started to write this, did you watch this knowing you were going to write about it? Or no, I, wa- did I watched, you watch it and you were like, oh, I should write about this for Torture Act? I, I watched about the first half and I kept giving you updates about it and sending you right, thoughts. Yes. And you said to me, man, you should write about that. And I was like, yeah, totally. So then I finished watching the special with that in mind and I started taking notes. And then I realized I didn't have notes for the first like three quarters of it. So I went back and, and rewatched it. So I watched the, I think the whole thing twice and it's quite long. The, the special, I think it's about five hours. So yeah, another thing I w- 20 matches. It's a lot of matches. Yeah. So another thing I wanted to do was to rank them because I thought that would be fun and that would... I don't know. I feel like with this podcast and with this magazine, one of my goals is just to recommend matches that people can seek out and watch, even if they don't want to watch a whole event. And probably specifically those who either don't have time to watch wrestling or who are not really into it anymore, who used to be into it. And you know that there's still that seed that they could be into it. So I'm just trying to like help help narrow down and... Uh, just recommend some matches. That's what we do every week at the end of the show, the classic match recommendation. So for this, it was like, it would be both for me, for you, and for the audience, like a recommendation of some of the best Intercontinental title matches of all time. It's cool that you are viewing it in that way because I was just talking to my little brother who listens to most of the shows that we do but doesn't watch wrestling anymore. And I was thinking about the different matches that I have gone back and shown him over the years. And to your point last week about... We, we kind of argued about the main event of Fighter Fest Night 2, the tag match versus Orange Cassidy and Jericho. I went back and like protected that episode to so make sure it didn't get deleted. 
so Charlie could see the tag match that happened last nice. Wednesday. And then I started thinking about the other matches that I've have shown him over the last like four years or so. And there hasn't been that many because he doesn't really he like will talk to me about wrestling, but isn't like a huge fan, but was obsessed with it in the same way we were when we were kids. And the other two matches that I've shown him over the last couple of years are the North American title match in NXT, the six ladder yeah, match, the six man ladder match and the battle of the Titans at SummerSlam 2016 with oh Brock Lesnar, Braun Strowman, Roman, and Samoa Joe. I think those are both very attitude era choices. Yeah, that makes sense. And he he lo- he loved them. And it's just interesting to think about like building these like supercards for people that don't necessarily maybe aren't as engaged with wrestling as you and I are on a, a daily basis, but used to be. Yeah, well, it's tricky because there's certain matches you think, oh, I'll show this match to somebody. Like, for example, I showed, I think, maybe the first Okada Omega match to one of my friends who hadn't really watched wrestling since, like, Randy Orton was at the top of his game. Mm-hmm. So, like, early early to that, early to mid-2000s. And um, I could she was engaged for a little bit, but after, like, 60 minutes, I could tell she was just kind of, like, tired. And, you know, she I, she thought it was okay, but didn't, like, really like it. And I was like, how could you not like this? This is, like, the best wrestling match ever. But you can't. You can't just like throw someone into the into the fire like that, right? Yeah, uh, I think, and and that's like I know at least with my little brother specifically, I know what he'll be drawn to because really the only other I'm trying to think of the only other matches that I think I've shown him, I sh- I've shown like in the last like, couple of years are I like some other historical matches from New Japan, like uh, Lager versus Hayabusa, and. High flying matches. Yeah, some other like super super junior matches. Uh but I think high flying matches, spot fests are the kind of matches that can hook people who don't watch wrestling. You can get them in with that, and then when they're watching, you can show them maybe more of a traditional wrestling match like Jungle Boy versus MJF. Yeah. For example. Totally. And that can be sort of the uh the breadcrumb trail. Well, I guess I think circling back to your article where you've ranked twenty intercontinental title matches. Without looking at the top 20 list, do you have one that stands out to you that's outside of the very first, like, number, the one that you ranked number one? Like, in re- if off the top of your head right now, what would you say go and watch right now? Finn Balor versus Seth Rollins versus The Miz. WrestleMania oh, yeah. 34, Triple Threat. That was a great, this match great match. blew me away. And also it blew me away how I didn't feel like people talked about it that much. And it opened like that, it opened that WrestleMania, right? It was the opening match or the second match. Yeah. I mean, that, it wasn't a pre-show match. I think, yeah, it was at the very beginning of the card. I think it was the first I remember match. that. Yeah. Because the WrestleMania 34 card had the potential to be the best WrestleMania ever. Like, looking at that card, if you just read that card and not think about the, the match quality, <laughs> it looks like the best card ever. And it was still a very solid WrestleMania. Like, it was... Probably the best one of recent years, just like front to back. But uh, there is also just like some matches that under delivered, oh. like AJ AJ versus Shinsuke, for example. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, that everyone had high hopes for. I also love that that throughout this article, once you get down to number eight, you don't provide a review, but you say, "Put it in my veins." Ziggler is one hundred percent the the MVP of the special, and he's someone that I could care less about, like. For like Dude. throughout all of my watching of WWE, and I haven't Dude. watched all of these matches, uh, so I feel like I should watch all of them 
Well, one, because you, you wrote about it, but two, because I don't care about Dolph Ziggler. Uh, I don't think you should watch all of them. I think you should start with uh, 14. Bad News Barrett versus Daniel Bryan versus Dean Ambrose versus Dolph Ziggler versus Luke Harper versus R-Truth versus Stardust. Yeah, I've not seen this. Yeah, both because that's when the special starts to kick up a notch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is, I forgot to provide time codes, so <laughs> you couldn't skip th- skip through this. Yeah, uh, there's n- there's no match I didn't like on on this special except for I would say Rick Rude versus the Ultimate Warrior, the first the first. Oh uh, yeah, you're or, number twenty, the lowest, number twenty lowest ranked. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, Ultimate Warrior certainly has a very limited thing that he can do, and I wouldn't put him up against someone like Rick Rude, who's more just like an old school classic yeah, like wrestler. Yeah, it. I I didn't. Dude, yeah, I don't even know why I didn't think of that. I could just go to the top ten and watch from ten to one. You basically have done that here. We, you know, everyone who's picked up this magazine can read about the top twenty, and then just pick the matches that sound interesting, uh, which is why I like this article. But I I did mean to provide time codes and I did not. Maybe I can maybe I can supplement that <laughs> online somehow so people could. Oh, skip, that's skip true. To them. Yeah, you could add it to the online article. Totally. But yeah, overall, just, I don't know, reading through it, it's cool. It's a cool representation of what the Intercontinental title has meant to the WWE and the people that were really important to it or still are really important to it, like Dolph Ziggler. But also, like, it's a very revisionist history. Like, this is, I'm just occurring to me, do you see the name Chris Jericho on this list anywhere? Wow, no, that's true. And this came, did this special come out last year? It came out at the end of last year? Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. I mean, that I, included, this literally never even occurred to me as yeah. I was wow. only only now as I'm looking at it. It's very revisionist. There's no Chris Benoit. Huh? Yeah, uh, they're obvious. Obviously, right. There's no Chris Jericho. However, having said that, there's some great matches on here. Yeah. Should I should I read any of these? Yeah. Do you have what do you have one that you particularly would want to read from this? Well, I think the number one is probably the best one. That's the one I think you should read. All right. So uh, the number one Intercontinental title match on this list takes place at SummerSlam 1992 uh, in the UK. It was the champion Bret Hart defending against his brother-in-law, the British Bulldog. Bret has gone on the record saying he had to carry this entire match and call out every single spot for Davy Boy, who had forgotten Bret's meticulously devised, self-described masterpiece after staying up all night smoking crack with Jim Neidhart. Brett also said that he went up light as a feather for Davy, but picking up his delinquent brother-in-law was like deadlifting a fridge. You would never know. They both appear to be in absolutely top form, and this is a deeply personal, hard-hitting classic. The hitman and the British bulldog, Irish ripping each other into the turnbuckle with everything they've got, and Brett yanking Davy up from the mat by his ridiculous braided cornrows, all while Brett's sister and Davy's wife, Diana Hart, watches on from the crowd with misty eyes. And as if the emotion wasn't palpable enough, you have a Wembley Stadium crowd of 80,000 screaming fans behind the hometown Bulldog, who had captured his very first Intercontinental Championship to a rapturous ovation. An absolute must-watch for viewers looking to familiarize themselves with Brett at the top of his game, and one of the best WWF slash E matches ever. Yeah, so well said. And that the detail about him staying up all night smoking crack, I did not know until you wrote this. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's it's insane to know that that's 
a part of the match because I I did not know that and I have seen I had seen it. Well, I did some research for these matches, and another thing I learned: the ones with most historical detail are obviously the most fun right. to read about. Um, and Razor Ramon versus Shawn Michaels, um, which is considered one of the best ladder matches ever, um, at, from WrestleMania 10. I didn't know that apparently after this match, which everybody looks back on fondly, Randy Savage tore Shawn Michaels a new asshole and Razor as well for going on long. Wow. Because they they bumped a 10-man tag that was supposed to happen and sort of caused 10 people from not getting their WrestleMania paydays. Damn. Um, and that match falls number two on this list. So, yeah, it's... But it's, yeah, it's so funny to think about that because it's obviously such a great match. And just like Randy Savage would have preferred it to be shorter <laughs> and less great. So a tag but, match could get, get its spot. Yeah. But it, but it makes sense because like this is a business and people need to get paid. Um, but I, I think that's another kind of really interesting historical detail that I learned while I was kind of doing research for this article. Absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 been great. It's great having you and Thomas. Like I, I don't have the energy or interest in uh, the history of WWE to go back to write an article like that. And it's been really great having, adding you and Thomas as writers to this project because you covered WWE. And then we had Thomas who wrote the glory of Lucha underground uh, viewers guide to people who have not watched Lucha underground, who many of our favorite current everyone's favorite current wrestlers from pwg from pwg nxt AEW uh performed in and i yeah you have uh you have ricochet as king puma with a mask yeah yeah tearing the house down and thomas actually booked a lucha underground card for us that was really fun to watch john morrison from wwe absolutely uh, rips it up jack evans yes who are i i think kind of really wasted on AEW at the moment yeah. certainly they haven't been around for a while but if i may just for a moment I, w- I want to say that that's what i think is so fun about this magazine and kind of like this partnership with you and thomas is because i feel like wwe is a good gateway once again for people who used to like wrestling but maybe don't and don't even realize that there's so much other great wrestling that's happening anytime i tell people i'm doing a pro wrestling podcast they're like oh so you're talking about wwe right and i'm like well a very small portion actually because there's actually so many more great promotions at the same time people grew up with that and they recognize that and so it's a good nostalgia kind of bait to get them into wrestling and then show them other stuff so it's really great that you know you have such a deep knowledge of njpw that you bring to this um thomas does as well but he also knows things about lucha underground and probably british like ott yeah a lot of riptide a lot of like random european promotions and to get and together, you guys have gotten me into GCW, which is happening right now, yeah. which is one of my new favorite promotions. Kind of feels like a like a a new ECW. Yeah, then th- those events, honestly, over the last month and a half, I, I think watching those two events have been the most fun in terms of uh, sitting yeah, down and watching would... events together. But I guess it's maybe just because you and Thomas made it like a bigger event by hanging out in person and watching it, and also. There are like pay-per-view events versus something we're watching like weekly or in New Japan's case, sometimes multiple times a week. Well, I think that in terms of NJPW probably has the highest match quality out of all the things yeah. that we watch. However, it also like is in in a certain way, maybe the most like kind of stayed of all of them that we watch. Like it's like, like you said, it almost feels like theater like the audience is there they, they do a kick and the audience like applauds 
like in reverence and stuff. Mm-hmm. And although there is like shenanigans, like we saw a lot of shenanigans with Takahashi, it's also kind of the most normal. It's just like wrestling in a ring, uh, you know. Right. So yeah. it sort of looks the same every time. Whereas GCW has been changing, like they're in a national park, they're outside, they're in in the backyard. So that it just, and and, and it feels more like an indie show and it has that kind of vibe to it. And you never know what's going to happen. Like even just thinking of the last like month of shows with them, dude, his entrance comes out shooting Roman candles, a car gets destroyed. And this is in a good way, not in like, we don't know what's going to happen. Like maybe Akira Tozawa and like a band of ninjas are going to (laughs) attack. Yeah. You know, no. It, it's yeah it's, it's surprising it, it's, and different in the best possible way but for me right now the full the full balance if i had to pick my favorite promotion right now for the for, for the full balance of everything it would be AEW because it feels like it can get a little bit extreme and, and wacky like gcw it has the match quality of njpw at its best moments and also just a lot of new stuff that we're seeing and a highlight for for new stars and yeah so that that would be if i had to tell one promotion for people to watch right now to get into wrestling i think it would be aw because njpw that might be something that is kind of an acquired taste when you're ready for all those like 60 minute matches and you know just that that sort of style yeah well and speaking of aw this week on dark the ftw title was defended was it Brian Cage versus Brian Pillman Jr.? Really? So I didn't see the last couple dark, so I missed Brian Pillman Jr. versus Sean Spears. Which that ma- I would you- say if you're going to watch one or the other, like watch that match or Brian Cage versus Brian Pillman Jr., watch go back and watch Spears versus Pillman Jr. I want to be very clear here. I'm super open to you recommending any matches for me to watch on dark. It felt like dark was just becoming the one now that you, now that I have a job especially uh, it was becoming the one thing I was watching every week just because I felt like I had to. And I would enjoy it for like the first 15 minutes, the pace of it. No promos, n- nothing, just kind of like match, 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 match. But after a while, it it got a little bit numbing to me. Especially when they weren't good matches or good stories. <laughs> yeah, I think overall, you don't need to watch it. Yeah. there. But I will, I will like watch a, those a match or two, A match or two that like is worth checking out. Meanwhile, they also book matches that, I don't know, you would have, like, almost no interest in watching. They did book a match that, like, this is the very first match ever that I fast-forwarded through in AEW. Right, because, once again, you are usually drawing when you're watching so i'll watch right? what i'll watch anything yeah i'm always i you have a lot of time because you're you're being productive like you're at home you're working on illustrations eight, eight hours or something you can you can put on a lot of wrestling yeah, so, I can, so it like, takes a lot through. for you to fast takes a lot for you to fast forward something i'm guessing yes totally yeah i'll i'll watch I, I, you watched a 30 minute stare down <laughs> but I, did the go go versus fujita stare down i was not i was working on an illustration during but I stopped to watch the I know, the but down. you stopped to draw to watch the stare down because it's so had, compelling. You got to go back and just sit and appreciate it. I, I think that I hope that this continues to come up and I hope that everyone it, goes out and see, seeks out Fujita versus Go in Pro Wrestling Noah. I don't know anything about Pro Wrestling Noah, but I loved this match. And this, well, I love the stare down specifically I'm as a, in a work that, of art and just what it is. I love that you hate in, it, though. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. It's just I don't think it's a good representation of 
the kind of wrestling that we, it's more of a performance <laughs> i guess piece. kind of it's circling like, back to what you were talking about in terms of recommending things to people i do think aew is probably the most digestible i gcw i think is the most fun to watch for me as a viewer but it's also the you have to like you have to go buy a pay-per-view to watch it so so there's a here's sort of a lo- bar for it here's I, I want to just say one thing which is in honor of the late ennio morricone i want to now go back and edit that go fujita match with the good the bad and the ugly score <laughs> behind it like of just them staring for 20 uh, 30 minutes but in terms of aw i saw a tweet that i loved recently i think i saved it uh let me just see if i have it in my screenshots john vamp for a second Oh, like how I inter- cir- interrupted you and then asked you to vamp. <laughs> <laughs> Circling back to the first match I've ever fast forwarded through in the history of a- in the first year of AEW, to no fault of Marco Stunt, because I love Marco Stunt and I love Jurassic Express and I love everything I've seen of Marco Stunt, but it was Marco Stunt versus Michael Nakazawa. Oh my god. There's some people who get a paycheck at AEW and I'm like... <laughs> You're so fucking lucky, and Michael Nakazawa is definitely one of them. Like for his, it, does he did he rub himself with baby oil? He did all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. He is the um. What is that guy's name from NJPW? Yano. Um. Don't, yeah, he's the Yano he, of AW. That's, that's a fine comparison, but I love Yano, so I'm a little offended by the comparison. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when I when I dis uh, Naito's hair, oh, and you were right. like, "Oh, what the fuck do you mean, bro?" Um. Yes, I don't want to watch that match at all. At all. I found the tweet. It wasn't a tweet. It was a a post from Squared Circle. um, Talking about the demographics Mm -hmm. in AEW. uh, Them winning the demos each week, even if they lost. Like the the overall overall viewers. I love this new... I know you were on the fence about Jericho bringing it up. But this new demo god. I mean, that's good. I just... I don't... That's good. I guess in terms of my viewing is... He makes... (laughs) <laughs> everything good i love him so much in terms of my viewing as a wrestling fan i don't care I, I i hope people watch wrestling so it stays on tv but i could care less about reading and spending any time reading about the ratings of a wrestling tv show i'm interested every week just because i want uh eventually dynamite to beat like raw How come? that's what i'm waiting for. i guess because it's a big How... moment to beat for because it it's, be it. it's better because it's better that's why because it's better and WWE is soulless and Vince keeps ruining everything. I guess it kind of uh, goes back to an argument, or not argument, a discussion that we had a couple episodes ago about this, sort of the uh, watching WWE, watching New Japan, watching AEW. Like why? I just never, I don't ever understand sort of the mindset of wrestling fans so desperate for wrestling to become mainstream because most things that are mainstream are not good. Like like just before this, before we started recording, we were talking about uh, Marvel movies and just how like forgettable a lot of them are and how they in sort of with how many of them have been made. It's not like they're really making a lot of standout films in comparison to something like the original Batman movie. So from an from an artistic standpoint, that has like an like an idiosyncratic vision seems like not just a market tested, you know, edge ascended off. Just exactly. So who cares if it ever becomes mainstream again? But I do think it's interesting that you do you but, do want AEW to have more viewers than that. But what well. you just said is actually a pretty good comparison because right now in mainstream 
uh, movie theaters, it's hard. Like when you're in a smaller town, it's hard to find a movie that doesn't have Iron Man in it. Mm-hmm. You are in New York. So you have the ability to see a lot of movies. So the fact that these movies are mainstream doesn't bother me. The fact that you can't choose anything else as a viewer. And because of that, you don't get exposed to better things. That's what bothers me. It's that people, I don't mind that people don't, if people don't like wrestling, but if they don't like wrestling because the booking is so bad in WWE and the characters disappear and nothing is consistent and it's silly, then I at least want them to know that there's another option. So I like that AEW, there's another option. And I like the idea of a quality TV show beating something like Raw because it would give Vince that kind of push he needs to be like, my show fucking sucks. If this smaller show with much less money and advertising beats Monday Night Raw, it's because it's a better show. And I want I want it to be like um, during the Attitude Era where they actually had to get better to beat WCW. I guess following along that same sort of line of thinking, you want like a new cool indie movie to be successful. And how great would it be if a movie like that had a higher box office than a Marvel film. Like yeah, that's I mean, a similar comparison. So then yeah, more I mean, movies it's... like that, it would open the door for more movies like that to be made. And sort of the small town comparison where it's like, well, the only movies that I know that are coming out are Marvel movies and rom-coms. I don't know any, like, I don't, I don't know. It's like Marvel on. movies and, and franchises. Yeah. It's like, interesting to think about, I guess that makes sense. It kind of opens. How do you, for other... how do you get new properties? How do you get new movies that become these properties if you don't make them? And right. everyone outside of wrestling that loved it when they were younger might not even know AEW exists, probably doesn't know New Japan exists. And it's like you saw Jurassic Park in theaters probably when it came yeah, out, right? with my cousin and Michael. That that was at a time when there was no Jurassic Park. It's not like they went back and remade a, the 50s comic book or old TV show called Jurassic Park. It was a new idea that they had and it was huge. And now we just get like Jurassic World and Jurassic bigger fucking world jurassic universe right jurassic multiverse i assume um you know what i mean so there's we don't get that but that thing that created it the thing that actually made people so happy that they shamelessly just made more and more of them over the years we don't get any more of those a lot of the times that's why when something like get out comes out and is like an original horror movie with like a cool idea social relevance made by a black filmmaker it's it's it opens the door for him to make more original movies for other black filmmakers, for other horror movie. I feel like horror movies are 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 a domain where you can actually experiment. Yeah, do new things, Midsommar. People don't really do out. them. Yeah, people Plus. don't really do them that much. Although I, I do think that this the difference between like elevated horror, like Midsommar being better than like something traditional, like a Rob Zombie mm-hmm. movie is like uh, false. But uh Anyway, that was a, that was an episode of We Love Film. <laughs> I found the tweet I was looking for. So, like we said about AEW winning the demos, someone said, them being that high in the younger demo doesn't surprise me. My kids, seven and five, live for AEW. They fall for all the wrestlers you'd think kids would lose their minds over. Jurassic Express, Darby Allen, Best Friends, Orange Cassidy, Britt Baker, The Dark Order, and weirdly enough, Sean Spears. They bu- they bought the black glove, hook, line, and sinker. They scream at the TV that he's a cheater. AW feels like wrestling felt to me as a kid. 
superheroes brought to life facing dastardly over-the-top heels in easily followable storylines with comedy sprinkled on top. It's safe entertainment, but also risque at the same time. That's a great summation of AEW. I just love the idea of not people our age, but like kids growing up watching AEW, watching AEW and them being the super fans of the future. Mm -hmm. And we always talk about how like eventually Orange Cassidy and like Darby Allen and Sammy Guerrero and all these people are going to be huge, but they're never going to be that huge to us as much as they're going to be to the kids who watch them for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. They're, we, I guess in that way, yeah, they're like, they, they are like AEW, I would say is doing the best, such a great job of creating and sort of pushing people like that. Like the different people that they've brought in and featured do feel they, like we've been so excited about the AEW action figures because everyone, it has like a cool character. Everyone is like that tweet mentioned like a superhero almost in terms of what they're bringing uh to their storylines to their characters and there's enough nuance for viewers like us who are watching every detail to continue watching and to seek out all of the other things that they're doing but then it's also broad enough for someone to just drop in and be like oh brian cage is huge he wants to beat up john moxley who has the title john moxley seems like kind of like a kurt russell snake plissken rough tough dude i'm in totally I'm watch this man brian cage like if I just turned on wrestling and I saw Brian Cage, I'd be like, I'm going to, I'm going to stick around for a little bit because <laughs> fucking yeah, huge. But, and we also don't talk about it a lot, but like, you know, one of the, I mean, we talk about it a little bit, but one of the things that was turned people off about wrestling a lot in the attitude era was like the rampant sexism and, you know, racism right. and hom- homophobia. Mm-hmm. So it was just really cool that AW you know, their first women's champion was a trans woman. You know, they ha- they're they making space for these openly queer characters. Um, we're going to start talking about AW Fight for the Fallen pretty soon. But the opening match of that was Sonny Kiss, who is like an openly gay wrestler and, you know, dresses in a, you know, highly sexualized fashion and like is able to be himself and like, you know, he has opening dancers that opening for da- his, I, for I his entrance that in the big, his big matches he's danced with, he's had the cheerleaders come out with him. I think that yeah. might've happened at the last, must've been the last fight for the fallen since that was at Daly's place also. Cause it's the Jaguars cheerleaders, I believe. Uh, yeah, it's great. And, it's great that, that, that this promotion is featuring sunny kiss and presenting sunny kiss in his vision it, it's not like yeah a not filtered... trying to like yes exactly not trying to like sand off sunny kiss to like be more it's like you can be gay but you have to be so like gay about it all the time like not like that at all and i think crucially pairing him with someone like joey janella who is not like that at all is just like very much kind of like he looks like a bro uh not like a bro like matt riddle but you know what i mean he's just he just kind of looks like a dude Pairing him with someone like that. I feel like that's... He's like a wild man, late 80s rocker. Yeah. He doesn't, like, dress, like, particularly flamboyantly. No. I wouldn't say. So, pairing them together and... I think it's kind of crucial on just, like, showing kids, like... You... you, Like, traditional men and, like, people who are queer can, like, be together in, like, a tag team. And it's really cool, like them promoting inclusivity and we forget like how impactful that is going to be to the next generation 
that are watching because yeah, we true. were taught a lot of bad lessons yeah. watching wrestling. Yeah. And now wrestling is teaching good lessons to kids. And I think that's fantastic. And I guess circling back to your point about a, the ratings being important, it is important that a show that is doing that does beat a show that has perpetuated those things for a long time. Although I think uh, WWE is doing, well, is doing now, better these I'm days. I'm just saying historically. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know, kind of circling back, I think Michael Nakazawa is my least favorite wrestler on anything that we watch. Can you think of someone that is that you like watching less than him? Um, I'm not going to go with any of the one-timers like Dilfoy. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not like a one one-off random like wrestler from an event we watch. Like someone we have seen more than two times. You know, before I would have said someone like um, the librarian, but now I'm enjoying so much him and Cutler together. Yeah, I can't think of anyone I like less than because every him. and like everyone in the New Japan roster, even like even thinking of even bringing WWE, New Japan, GCW, trying to like mentally go through all of the lists. I feel like there's someone from AEW that I'm forgetting that I like that I like less. Who do I really not? Like? The only people I can think of that you have been like kind of very anti have been Cutler <laughs> and the Librarian and QT Marshall. <laughs> yeah, QT, QT. Uh, but Q- no, I can't. I can't put Nakazawa above, above QT. QT? That yeah, makes no sense. It yeah, it has to be Nakazawa. Every time he takes the baby oil, I'm just like, let this go. Crucially, not mentioned in that tweet uh, was Michael Nakazawa. So the kids <laughs> are not going for the baby oil. Yeah, but yeah. So that 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 was the first match that I fast forward through ever in the history of AEW. That I had high hopes for the FTW title match on Dark this week. Brian Cage versus Brian Pillman Jr. But it was a squash, more or less. Brian Pillman Jr. got in some very quick offense, like for like 15 seconds, and then once he went to the outside, Brian Cage hits a suplex, drill claw for the three. More or less. It's very, it's very, very brief. But it's cool that Brian Pillman Jr. is in AEW now. And his match with Sean Spears actually was really fun, really cool to watch. Tully there, Brian Pillman Jr., Sean Spears has that sort of early late 80s, early 90s WCW feeling to his character now. So it's the match feels uh both historical and new. If we can talk about that for a second, Tully has been in the audience scoping out FTR. We've seen that with Sean Spears. We know Sean Spears was looking for a tag team partner. They're scoping out FTR. FTR are scoping out Hangman Adam Page. This four horsemen stable is happening in AEW. I fucking guarantee. So do you think it's Hangman, Spears, and FTR or Cody, Spears, and FTR? I don't think Cody is. I think they're doing a slower heel build on Cody. Cody. I think that's actually going to like be like a year long build with lots of things sprinkled in. I could be wrong about that. So I think he is going to be the face of AW for a while. Um, Hangman is a no, surprising I, choice too, I guess, because Cody Cody has Arn in his corner, so it's like, oh, of course, the new Four Horsemen Cody will be in it because Arn is Cody's manager. But the surprising choice, and my personally, the choice that I think would make make the faction would be Hangman. Hangman, yes, he has so much potential to be the breakout character on AEW. Like, he already kind of is in, in a lot of moments. But just the fact that um, 
just that split between the Bucks, who are like very theatrical and stuff, and um, you know, pretty arrogant. They've been portrayed as like always coming out and being like, "Oh, you didn't talk to us. Like we're the Bucks. We've been holding tag team wrestling on our backs for years." Um, and you know, Kenny, all these kind of gamers, right? Versus people who are just kind of like no bullshit, like dudes just kind of trying to drink, drink whiskey beer. and hang out. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. For me, for me, the the strange choice is Sean Spears. Mm. Like to me, it, it it could pretty obviously be Cody, Hangman, and FTR. Right. Oh wow, yeah. The two of them would break off, could break off, and do that as well, and then cut out Spears. However, because Spears has Tully as his manager and has been scoping them out, it seems pretty obvious that it's going to be him and spears was looking for a tag team partner and hangman has a tag team partner so he's proved that he's a good tag team wrestler yeah so that like turn would make sense what do you think spears and page would be like as a tag team i think they would be really good and i do think that that if that happened it would open it up for maybe maybe that it maybe we're predicting kenny's first singles feud maybe his first singles feud will be with sean spears if Spears causes them to lose the titles, Hangman breaks off. FTR so gets the, the titles. Is that they they haven't built Sean Spears at all to the fact that he. I'm not even excited about that match. Like it just seems like he would get creamed by by. But he's your boy. And he, I know, he, but yes, I, he will. I've he been will, complaining about his. I think booking, he should though. get creamed by Kenny, so Kenny can become the best bout machine again, and then you know, uh, Four Horsemen, they'll be like a heel faction that i don't know you know i I want the four horsemen to just come out to spears's music because it's so fucking good true yeah i just think like that play along <laughs> i just think that that sort of that storyline makes so much sense spears costs hangman and kenny the titles ftr gets the titles and then hangman breaks off with spears and ftr so that's in a match between kenny and page at and all out FTR. yes man just like there are already so many delicious combinations of wrestlers that we could that you could have in AW, and every time they bring someone new in, it just like extrapolates that. Like bringing FTR in, and then we could see like FTR versus Lucha Bros, FTR versus Butcher and the Blade, FTR versus Young Bucks, FTR versus Kenny and Hangman. Like it's the best. I love it. Yeah, yeah, same, same. Best tag it, team wrestling in the world. It, no, absolutely. No yeah, there's no no doubt that the tag division can't be fucked with by any other promotion. It's insane how good the AEW tag division is. I would say like considerably better than the <laughs> than the singles division, but it's the singles division still very strong. I was just thinking about that this morning. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Like the second match of uh, Fight for the Fall and FTR versus Lucha Bros. That match. It was not the banger that I thought it would be, but it was still a great match. Yeah, there was a few um, there was a few botches in there that I thought yeah. were kind of strange. A couple but... of weird botches. But I think also just like Lucha Bros have been sidelined and not able to wrestle for months together. Yes. So it makes, and all of their moves feel like require such precision that it would make sense that there's going to be like in this in-between time where everyone starts wrestling again. There's no doubt going to be some botches, some small things like that. Another thing AW is great at is just creating factions. I remember when they first put together the inner circle, 
it seemed very random. It was like Jericho, Sammy Guevara, um, Hager, which made sense as like the heavy and um, proud and powerful Santana and Ortiz. I remember thinking that's kind of a, just a strange collection. It's just like, oh, here's a bunch of heels, but it took no time at all for them to gel together so well that now when I see them, I'm like, oh yeah, those are the goof. That's the goofy heel tag team. That's the like arrogant, pretty boy. That's the strong and silent uh, heater. And then you have Jericho, who's like the mouthpiece. Who do you like think just... slots in in Sammy's absence? Do you think that like in that promo this week with Jericho in the inner circle, it felt like one person was missing. Yes, so agreed. do you think in the mean in the interim, will they slot someone new in to have uh, when Sammy comes back, Sammy fused with? Someone? It's a no brainer to slot Kip Sabian into that slot right now as like the sexy boy. Yes. Uh, that, Him that's and Penelope his... in that. Oh, movie. man. Awesome. So and. Good. Kip has unfortunately lost his tag team partner from uh, with uh, Jimmy Havoc, who's oh right, out, yeah, out with rehab. Yeah, so he too, yeah. he he, ha- he was getting some momentum. Um, he's been kind of lagging behind Penelope uh, recently in the momentum category. Although I said I always liked him better as the valet than her as the valet because it kind of upends the the stereotype. But yes, I think he's a he's no brainer to slot in. He's got nothing to do. Jericho cutting promos on Kip's with Kip Sabian and. Uh, Penelope Ford like about them would also be so great just seems seems too perfect to not happen and I think it just opens up like new storylines for the both of them who yeah I guess we haven't seen them they, they've kind of taken they haven't been as featured oh I guess just over the last week Penelope had a I, title shot they were yeah. so heavily featured throughout the like period like COVID era beginnings yeah super bad like death squad absent. yeah our favorites yeah well then they changed to super bad squad and maybe that was the the downfall <laughs> <laughs> um what was i gonna say though um it also just depends on how long they're actually planning on keeping sammy guevara out right right yeah maybe they don't need to slot someone in i was just thinking that that's like an interesting an interesting future storyline that could happen and could come into play uh with jericho the inner circle and sammy and it's, it's yeah, just especially because it seemed like Sammy was possibly going to join a faction with Matt Hardy and Private Party. I don't know. Um, at the end of the FTR Lucha Bros match, number one, I love. I was just talking about how how all the factions work together. I love uh, Butcher and the Blade and Lucha Bros together. Like, yes, I want. They sick... need to join Death Triangle. Yes, Death Pentagon. Death... No. But their Death Triangle was <laughs> was the, the original name, right? Yes. Triangle de la Mortes. Oh, yes. Yes. In the Spanish. But uh, right at the end, uh, they go to drive away in, in the FTR's truck. Well, it doesn't start, right? And it doesn't, it doesn't start. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like... A new low for vehicle use. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, they're going to have to get Trent's mom to come pick them up in the minivan. It's just below Cody tapping the guardrail with his truck, I would say. Yes. Abs- you're absolutely right. The just car not two, starting. Two has meters to be below and stopping. That, but that, the tap is. <laughs> but only just. Close. Yeah. I, Jericho got doused with orange juice by Orange Cassidy here. And I love him kind of slowly doing trump bits because he was like look at my hair i got doused worse than anybody 
I just love that idea that like even when he gets doused, he has to be like the one who got doused the most. He's like, I got doused more than anybody. No one's ever been doused as much as me, Chris Jericho. Do you think that, uh, like, I, where do you think this feud goes? Do you think Gorge Cassidy eventually beats Jericho? Or do you think this just is kind of storyline? Yeah, Jericho, like, obviously Cassidy has to beat Jericho. Otherwise, this whole thing didn't really make it much sense. Or, like, why um, they've spent so much time on it as well. Yeah, I I think um, it hasn't been a failure to me, but it, to me, is not an, a main event feud. I know I said this before. Uh, I didn't buy it as the main event feud. When Jericho was out there asking the crowd, like, do you want to see a rematch? Do you want to see a rematch? Even the crowd that was, like, paid to be there didn't really want to see that rematch that much. Yeah, well, it, it I think it would be fine in the future with a crowd. One of the, the match that I love the most on this night, again, was a multi-man match. But also throughout this multi-man match, Jurassic Express versus The Elite. Yumi and yes. Thomas both started imagining a GCW invasion angle in AEW that would lead to Joey Janela getting the one of the titles. And that yes. completely distracted me. Uh, I, I It distracted me for a little bit. Here's what ha- Here is the train of thought here. You said that it was AEW's biggest game-changing achievement. Whoa, what right, it? yes. I, what, yeah, what, yeah. what did you say? What was AEW's biggest game changer achievement? It was a joke. Oh, yes. The, I said that in reference to Hangman being backstage, actually sitting at a table. <laughs> yes. <laughs> drinking. Sad man, drinking. Yeah. Sad, sad man Adam Page sitting at a table alone watching the match. Like actually um, like a human does sitting at a table. Yes. Rather than standing like at like a 45 degree angle next to a TV that's also at a 45 uh-huh. degree angle. Like, like to cut camera left <laughs> um yeah so you were like that's aw's biggest game changing achievement and then i said aegcw all elite game changing wrestling and you were like yes that would be insane invasion angle led by joey janela that leads to joey winning the title and i was like taz versus nick fucking gage <laughs> battle of my impressions um <laughs> dude yeah taz taz getting back in the ring with brian cage in his corner against nick gage and all of gcw would be you insane. refer to it as AEW blood sport and then i called it AEW blood sport and guts <laughs> and you said this the stunt brothers Morgan, marco and logan could uh, fight for the titles yes yeah that would be great they had a, a crazy match at the backyard last year but yeah overall this match again the, the multi-man matches are completely deli- over delivering on. I was not expecting a lot from this way. match, and I thought it was an A. Honestly. Yeah, just cool seeing Kenny back in action in the way that we know him as a singles competitor. I feel like a lot of the focus on his in ring action has been his double team moves with Hangman. Of course, we were seeing some stuff that we love of the best mount machine in those matches, uh, but I feel like overall, we haven't seen sort of the G1. Best Bot Machine Kenny too frequently in AEW. In this match specifically, he runs wild with some Snapdragons. Uh, I actually, actually, I think Jericho calls him the wild man from Winnipeg. Uh, I have and- a whole section just about Jericho's commentary in this match, but I'm going to save it for a second. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, also Kenny just like going after Marco hard. Yes, yeah, it's throwing him around like a rag doll and throwing him around, hitting him with knees, and also just like attacking him after the bell. Yeah, Luchasaurus protected him too. That was great. There's been two, two oh great my god, moments in wrestling this week for that reason. 
Luchasaurus protecting Marco and Red Shoes protecting Naito uh, in his match with Evil. Both- only one of those. Only one of those only made me cry. And spoiler alert, it was the one involving the giant dinosaur. <laughs> protecting. I his swear tiny to God. Friend. Well, his tiny friend is about to get fucking V triggered by Kenny on, and he's on the ropes, and Lucha just like just comes in and hugs him from behind and just shields him with his body. I was like, I'm emotional. Does he like, take the V the trigger also? Yeah, he takes yeah. the V trigger. Yeah. Man, that was I thought that was beautiful. I actually my notes say Lucha hugs Marco, takes knee, love is real. Well did that and did that lead to Marco's crazy Canadian destroyer spot off of maybe. Luchasaurus's shoulders? I think that, that No, maybe, that was, was before, that was maybe? A, that was later or before. <laughs> it was not <laughs> So not before then. or after, not at this moment. <laughs> yes. But um man. Uh and then at the end, Kenny one wing angels Marco. For the win, which just seems like overkill. <laughs> to <laughs> Wanted to make to sure he was stuff. down, like Okada uh, and Evil in their match. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, uh, and just overall, so cool to see these like six to eight man matches. It made me feel like should all these matches be six to eight man matches? But of course, this match wouldn't stand out if everything was like a crazy six to eight man match. We'd get a lot of like New Japan style opener matches where there's yeah. fun pairings and you know storylines are progressed forward but not all of them are going to be the sort of barn burners that this and the eight man last week were no because these just like don't stop from beginning to end it's it's wild and also i really got the sense that i was watching a classic match as i was watching this because not only was the match fantastic but i just thought jericho's commentary is so great and so funny. Like I'm laughing so much just listening to him. I can imagine like watching this on the like the AW network like later, you know what I mean? Going back and watching this as a classic TV match because he reminded me so much of like when you go back and watch a match like for the Intercontinental title article, when you watch a match that has Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan on commentary and Bobby's just like going insane. Um yeah, it, just, I, it adds so cool much context. Yeah, you you kept saying that while we were watching on Wednesday, and until you said that, I was like, "Well, yeah, his he's his commentary is great. He is adding to it." But I I think in that context, he does add. He adds it, like a you lot. know what it was because he was talking about everything that was happening in the match. He wasn't just talking about like I'm covered in orange juice. If it was just like you know him talking about how Moxley sucked, which was funny on top of a great match, right? It would still be great, but this was one of the times where I felt like he was so invested in everything that was happening, and it was so funny. Like, yeah, like, at one point, Kenny just does an awesome thing, and, like, I think maybe a Snapdragon suplex, and Jericho, who has historically hated Kenny, just goes, Kenny's my new favorite wrestler! <laughs> Wildman from Winnipeg is winning! Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh... Yeah, yeah this match, you- like, what a match that encapsulates what AEW was always going to be. Yeah. The Elite versus Jurassic Express in just the craziest, craziest one of the one of one of the craziest matches of recent memories. I would say. One more Jericho call. <laughs> <laughs> Jericho, why is it called the Tiger Driver ninety eight X? That's the year it was invented. Jericho, how would you know? You were five years old at the time. <laughs> X, I was eighteen, but thank you. Yeah, his just like his back and forth with Excalibur with all of them is great. Jr. Just asking them a question, they give him the answer, and he's like, "How would you know?" And he's like, <laughs> "I was I was eighteen, thanks." Uh, that was so good. Uh, also, I just want to 
I forgot to mention this, but uh, JR opened the night by calling it Fighter Fest Night Two. Oh, right, that threw me off actually <laughs> when it started because I w- I put it on. I like had the I had uh, the channel on and I was in the other room and then I heard him say that and I was like, what did, did I accidentally throw on last week's episode? Uh, seems like, like a pretty <laughs> JR, good JR, are you time shifting again? No, no one really clarified either, right? I really thought like X would jump on and be like, "That's right, fight, fight for, for the, the fallen. fallen." Yeah, but or at least like. Did. Fighter Fest Night Three, fight for the fall. <laughs> a trilogy events would have been cool. Uh, the main event of this, Moxley versus Brian Cage, I felt was like okay. I thought it was quite good. Yeah, uh, like I, I liked ta- it. But Taz out there beforehand being like, "Listen, Mox, while you and your wifey were quarantining, <laughs> like puts a bracket around quarantine. Yeah, like, like it's, it's not a real not thing. A thing he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, my boy Brian was out here training a regular schedule. <laughs> He's in the gym hitting it hard." Uh, love that body guy stuff body guy stuff uh and then also another jericho call mox uh gives uh taz the finger while he has oh has in, in, in a his, submission hold yeah in a submission cool. hold and uh x is like mox has given him the finger and jericho's like that's what he thinks of you taz you're number one <laughs> i don't know if you heard that one but no what uh, i love oh god yeah oh i just love mox like being more of a, a tactician that we might than we might have expected, and like resorting to submissions to beat Cage because he called it before the match. He's like, like I'm. He's like, you're indestructible. I'm certainly not indestructible. He's like, I'm very destructible. But like, we still knew he was gonna win, but we didn't know how because Cage is this huge guy that makes Mox look kind of like a kid. Yeah. Well, and it's cool but, to see the influence of the, his G1 run and New Japan coming True. into his wrestling style like he's throwing down the gotcha style pile driver he is doing more submission holds like his training last year for the g1 i don't remember who trained him but someone who an mma person or someone involved in like combat sports trained box in preparation for both jericho and uh for the g1 at least in the storyline of it it seemed real also but i mean that's the whole point of all of this uh so it makes sense that he'd start using more more of that yeah. within AEW as well. Uh, I feel like in AEW he's he's done some submissions, but it's mostly he's mostly featured like kind of a different move set almost than what he does in New Japan, and it's cool to see that coming through now. And how yeah. and he and he wins. Uh, what what did you think of Brian Cage losing the match? Do you think that was the right call? Ah, uh, he didn't tap out. Um, ta- Taz threw in the towel which saved Brian Cage from tapping out. But it made perfect sense because Mox was going over his his surgically repaired arm. So... Oh, yeah. yeah. I, it's I like don't think it... Taz didn't didn't want um, Cage to be injured and out again. He couldn't take that. Right. Because it would be such a, a blow to the both of them, too. To Cage's career and also to Taz's career. So he, he was forced to throw in the towel. I think that's a great way to protect to protect Cage. Because I didn't, I didn't really buy Moxley pinning Cage, to be honest. No, Cage is yeah, so fucking yeah. huge. Yeah, like, was well, he gonna just hit him with a DDT and pin him? Like, I don't think so. He's not Kenny Omega. Like, he's much bigger than him. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I guess in just in retrospect, thinking of the different big people who have lost recently, every big monster that's come in has lost. Yeah, Archer lost to Cody, but there was some tomfoolery there. There was True. some yeah interf- yes. inter interference. Then Moxley Brody. beat Brody. That was such a slobber knocker, though. Yes, My God, that was a he very DDT'd sick him. Match. Th- he DDT'd him through the Entrance. through the ramp. Yeah, yeah. 
I would say that this cage match was not quite as good as the Birdie Lee yeah, match, no. but uh, considerably better than the than the um, Jake Hager match. As far as big match, oh, absolutely goes. Yeah, oh, interesting. Yeah, my, my, I, I, I personally love that Mox won. I don't think that. I think they all Brian Cage, Brody, and Lance Archer all still seem like monsters. Lance Archer and Cage specifically, they're still supposed to feel like monsters, and they do. And Brody Lee, for everyone that's been paying attention to being the elite, his loss to Moxley has basically formed his character. It's it's made him into this kind of almost like like incompetent corporate boss who's not paying enough attention to everything, so things are slipping through the cracks. Like they they could have had Hangman in January. But yep. they missed that email. But also, like, I don't know. It's made him almost like a little, not quite, I wouldn't say the word is humble when he's out, but he he doesn't have the swagger that he did before when he was like, I'm going to kill you, Mox. And then he didn't. So now he's just kind of coming out and just standing there. And he's like almost more intimidating just as like a, like he's only mean to like the Dark Order. <laughs> and he's fun and just, he's legitimately like really funny. And I think in, I didn't, I don't watch enough of him in WWE to really know that, like, if he does problems or whatever. But he, they didn't. He he mostly just stared, right? Vince wanted him to do a Southern accent, and he couldn't do it. And then Vince was like, "This guy is incompetent at promos," and didn't let him do anything. So then he just like stared off, and I guess that's like what he was doing when he first got to AEW, sort of just staring off into the void to look like crazy but seeing him i think his do, like, staring comedy, off now is is good though i like, do too when there is a balance yes i think the balance, balance is perfect and i think he's hilarious but yeah it's great Absolutely. i'm excited to see where everything goes over the next couple of months there's a lot of potential places for all of AEW storylines to go basically it felt like a series finale of sorts over these last couple of weeks or almost like a mid-season finale and you know yeah. now in the we have the lead into all out now up till up through September. At at the end of the day, John Moxley is a huge huge star. We forget that sometimes. He was part of one of the biggest factions of all time in the Shield. He was strong till the end of his WWE run and him coming to AEW really cemented them as like they're not TNA. It's not just like over the hill guys. It's like guys at the top of their game who want to come here, who are wrestling in Japan, WWE, but they want to be at AEW. And could have so, signed anywhere. Yeah. Yes. 100%. So you, I think you need to keep the belt on him. For a while. Um, I think he should have it for a long time. Like I, even if he kept it all out. Like, e- even if every other title gets uh, ping ponged a little bit to have long runs with the AEW title will just make it more prestigious yeah that title i feel like mox and Sheeta should both be champs for a while so let's jump over to a uh njpw and before we talk about the matches that we watched it's funny because it, ha- it feels like it happened so long ago it does feel like a really kinda, long time ago it's because we've been one step behind because um they were having daily events for a while so we couldn't we weren't. We were putting out weekly podcasts, so it's like we were always around behind, almost. Right. Um. So I just want to point out that every single prediction we made on the last episode, we made with such confidence. I was re-listening to it, <laughs> just listening to me be like, "Okay, so we can both agree 
that there's absolutely no chance that evil would win two belts, right? Like <laughs> that's a hundred percent certainty. So therefore Okada is going to win because he, he could win and evil couldn't win. And then he'll give a good performance, but obviously Naito will keep the belt for a lot longer. And we were like booking like, well, then Naito will drop the belt to Sonata. None of this happened. None of this happened whatsoever. No. Everything um, is evil. Starting out with the, the cup finals, evil versus Okada. Uh, this was a really good match. I thought. Yeah, I, I'll say probably one of the best matches between both the New Japan Cup Finals and Dominion was this match. This match I felt was maybe better than maybe maybe be, it was definitely better than Naito versus Evil. We'll get to that, but like a hundred percent, it was better for sure. Better than that, I would say Show versus. Tokagi. I was just gonna. That's what I was gonna say. Show and Shingo probably maybe is the best match of overall of the two nights. But yeah, Evil versus Okada. Uh, Evil versus Okada. I for sure, I mean, I don't know. I guess going into it, watching it, I thought Okada was winning. And we for sure thought Okada was winning. Like, So you were first in your in your bracket predictions on the website that the you... Semi-finals. I was first place. I predicted Hiromu versus Okada and Evil versus Sonata. And then at, for people who have been listening to this, and for you also, I have been so blinded by sonata being the one that should be pushed and sort of because he has no belt he's the one guy with no belt he didn't have a belt and just he has had some signature singles matches like one of my favorite matches of last year okada versus sonata at the at the new japan cup finals that well i was just gonna say that like it seemed like what the booking was happening because he made it to the finals last year and i think historically a lot of times when people make it to the finals they'll go on to win it at some point yeah, there's a like, lot of logic in New Japan's booking. It's that person's proven that they are a winner in this tournament. It's their tournament. They're going to have the upper hand because they have the like competitor's edge. Yeah. As if it were an actual athletic competition where there isn't a predetermined outcome. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I, I was really not... I, I watched this match because I was trying to watch it right when it came out because I didn't want to get spoiled for me. So I watched it like right in the morning and the first time I watched it, so I had to, I was like falling asleep so we re-watched it yesterday and it really looks like okada is gonna win like evil's dominating for a while but then okada comes back hits the drop kick um you know what's one thing he does that okada does right at the start of this match that i don't think i've really seen a face i can't think of another time a face has done this in recent memory oh evil comes right out of the gate and dominates like hits a darkness falls gets a close two count and instead of okada fighting back he rolls out of the ring and rests. He rolls he, he rolls out, runs kind of to his corner, and then just kind of lays there, almost like it's a boxing match. Interesting. And I feel like that's a move you see a lot of heels do. You know, Kevin sure. Kelly refers to it as letting the air out of the ball, like walking around the ring, taunting. <laughs> but here it felt, we keep saying Okada's like Michael Jordan, and it really felt like, oh, this is a smart athlete who just almost lost He's selling the fact that he almost just lost with this two count. Totally. And now he rolls out of the ring, is panting, kind of recuperating. And it causes Evil to come. If he just lays there until Evil comes out. And then Okada gets the upper hand. He throws Evil against the guardrail. They kind it's of not the most, back and forth then. It's not the most sportsmanlike move, but it is the smartest move. Yes, and like, exactly. Okada is going to pick the smartest move. Not in a everything is evil kind of heel way, but he's going to be as sportsmanlike as he can. But if he can't he's not afraid to take a minute 
because in, he wants in a to match win. with a heel who's going to cheat, he Okada will not cheat, but he'll bend the rules of like sportsman sport like sportsmanly conduct basically. Exactly. So obviously, this did come down to cheating in the end. There was uh, interference from Gato distracted, and then Yujiro. Yujiro hit a move on Okada. Evil went for the pin. Didn't Kevin Kelly was selling pretty hard that like Evil didn't really know what was happening. Probably yes, it seemed like out. yeah, it seemed he sold it as the Bullet Club was just against Oka- Gato hates Okada and, and they don't want him to win. Yeah, which yeah. makes sense from the first match when uh, Gato was like hitting Okada with like a hammer and shit. Um, and then he goes for the pin, doesn't get it, and then. There's is there more cheating? He yeah he hits him in the balls right? Yes yeah he hits him in the balls takes takes it. There's a lot of cheating in this tournament. Um, it didn't bother me that much in in this match because it climaxed so well with e- evil joining Bullet Club. You know the difference maybe is that within the story while we're watching it, like when we first watched it, we don't know what's going on. Like we don't know that it's like evils working with bullet club until after yeah. the fact so it feels less like the typical interference where it's just like heels that are coming out to interfere because they can because that's what a heel does yeah it but didn't bother re- me either yeah even re-watching it like i thought it played out very nicely i thought this was a, was a was a pretty good match uh we we give it a b plus yeah i mean the Come real on. the real uh star of the end of this is kevin kelly melting down <laughs> <laughs> when naito puts up the lij fist and then no Ni- no oh god no and he like stomps the hat he's yeah, like yeah. what the hell him screaming god damn it is so funny god damn it yeah that was great and yeah and uh, then takahashi he, obviously melting down as well yeah evil evil has sold his soul to join the bullet club and man Evil's music climaxing and Takahashi just like screaming like ah! that like that made that was the t- that's the Takahashi I want to see not the one who like cowers like a dog but who, the one who is just like the ticking time bomb. I mean that is pick. I mean you just described exactly why he's the ticking time bomb though. All right, John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Everything has so, logic in New Japan. So Dominion started uh, out with uh, Hanma Makabe Gabriel Kidd versus. Nagata, Kojima, and Taguchi in a match that has... Big match to Gooch. Big match to Gooch. And, dude, I love Gabriel Kidd. Like, I don't know. This match is not particularly noteworthy. Not a lot happened in it that's like, wow, this is like, we're going to remember this forever. But I will say it's continuing to solidify Gabriel Kidd as someone that I'm a big fan of, that I'm excited to see the development of. Come on, say, say Oni Larkin again. So, and I know you want to. This is the third. That would be the third week in a row. He, but he does have an Oni Larkin like energy. Secondly, uh, while I while we because we did a rewatch of Dominion and there was less New Japan to watch this week, I started kind of going back and watching and just reading about some more of the New Japan dads that maybe I'm not as familiar with or that I don't know as much about to see like some of their older matches. Dude, there's a match on YouTube, Yuji Nagata versus a founding member of NWO Japan. Tenzan in WCW. Okay. Uh, <laughs> do you want to send it to me? I do. I I, I have a I, ha- I have a, a different classic match for you, but this I, is one... I totally forgot about NWO Japan. Yeah, you just reminded me of that. Yeah, uh, April fourth, nineteen ninety eight, Hiroshi Tenzan 
versus Yuji Nagata in WCW Worldwide. It is sick. It's only six minutes and 20 seconds. I watched it. I watched it twice now. I watched it before we hopped on here, actually. Um, Man, you could fit five of those in that stare down. True. Uh, <laughs> it's not the stare down though, but yeah, it's cool. Nagata N- Nagata brings the energy in that match in this this old ma- the WCW match with uh, Tenzan in the way that he did with Suzuki. It's fast, it's hard hitting, and it's cool to see Tenzan. They both look like exactly the same, basically, except it's twenty two years ago. And Tenzan has his like crazy helmet, but it's all black, and he's wearing an NWO shirt. So it's I don't know, just just knowing. It's cool knowing I actually did not know that Tenzan was a founding member of NWO Japan until I read more about him this week when I found this match. And I just started looking up because we've been talking about watching like classic matches of different wrestlers that we have enjoyed in New Japan that we might not know as much. So that's what I've been doing uh, in the meantime, while we don't have a New Japan Cup tournament to watch. Uh, nice. Yeah, it's it's been cool. The the second match of this night, Sonata Bushi Hiromu. Versus Ishii, Yota, Suji, and Yano. Classic Yano tactics. And, you know, LIJ looking very dejected in a way that, you know, is very depressing to me. Kevin Kelly was talking about how Shingo was probably taking it the best. It seems um, as so. Yeah, he won his that match. He's the, he's the least invested, perhaps, in, in LIJ. He's the last added member, too. So it makes sense that he would have the least stake in this. Just like he's a little less heartbroken. Yeah. I mean, he he what he was, I mean, on point in his match with Sho, and he wins. So clearly is not as affected. Uh, speaking of Tenzan, what do you think of Master Wato, Tenzan's tag team partner? I haven't seen anything. You haven't watched not anything like... of Master Wato? Nope. Not I I heard about the road to the Grandmaster from you. <laughs> I have skipped every one of his matches. I've seen his picture and I think he looks ridiculous. Yeah, I don't like his uh, look at all. I assumed he was like maybe like the blue meanie of Japan or something. He's a cool high flyer, but yeah, his, his aesthetic looks I don't like it. It doesn't I don't know. Yeah. It's not for me. Yeah. I just I just make jokes about him because I, I know nothing about him. It's, it's more fun to make jokes when you know nothing about someone. I mean, he threw down some sick moves in both matches he was in, like crazy, like super junior moves. But yeah, I don't know. Like I, it, I think it's gonna it'll be they they were positioning him in a way on commentary where he would go on to face Hiromu soon, and that feels like, I mean, an easy win for Hiromu, and I don't know. I appear to have drank about a liter of apple juice just during this recording. Yeah, that's too much, right? That's probably too much. That's a lot of that's a that's a lot of sugar. That's a lot of sugar. I drink apple juice to alleviate the dry mouth. But I'm I'm, I was about to pour myself another glass. I was like, I'm gonna about to drink 1.65 liters of apple juice in one sitting. That's horrible. Show versus Shingo. (laughs) Show versus Shingo for the never open weight. I, uh, this was my favorite match of the of those two nights. Um, they continue got, to just put on really sick matches together. Every match they've had together is good. I just love how intense this match was and how the narrative was show having the upper hand for most of this match and overpowering the bigger Shingo. Like he just has so much heart. Uh, he does a, uh, a a deadlift German on Shingo. From his knees. 
it is like one of the coolest spots I of the night for sure. Uh, I love his backbreaker. It's wild I love how powerful sh- a lot of the smaller people are in New Japan. Totally, man. Like his huge lariats on on Shingo. Yeah. Like. Yeah, I really I thought he was gonna win this, but uh, he any pile drivers Shingo as well. That was awesome. Yeah, there's a great moment uh, towards the end where he gets Shingo hits a pumping bomber. And Kevin Kelly yeah. on the English commentary sells it as like, this is it. And then show kicks out at one at one. And that was awesome. That moment was awesome. And then I felt like the match ended too soon after that. moment. Like it maybe because I've, I've been watching so much wrestling, but I, 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 I love a, like a, a decently short match every now and then. Not that this was short. This was probably like what twenty minutes. I just 15? think that one count maybe could have come sooner to feel. I don't know. Yeah, to have a few more moments of like either two close yeah. two counts, whatever. Shingo wins. I know what you mean. And I just love that New Japan builds these really really long term feuds where you would watch the two people wrestle for like hours and hours and hours. Like, well, speaking of that, like. Golden Aces versus Dangerous Techers. This entire tournament, there has been constant clashes between uh, Ibushi and Tanahashi with ZSJ and Taichi. Um, we've seen so many times, well, maybe only twice, but it felt like a lot of times, uh, uh, Taichi holding Tanahashi and ZSJ corkscrewing his leg. And uh, we got a nice reversal in this match where Tana gives a good corkscrew to Zack's leg. And that was, uh, it felt, it felt like a big payoff to me. Yeah. Just the, the, the way that they sort of build these seeds of extremely, this is like the ZSJ Tanahashi feud goes back a couple of years. Kevin Kelly mentioned it on English commentary, but ZSJ, uh, beat Tanahashi in the new Japan cup in 2018 last year at WrestleCon at the ref pro showcase ZSJ and Suzuki, uh, faced off against Tanahashi and Will Ospreay for the Rev Pro Tag Titles. Suzuki, ZSJ retain. Later that year at Royal Quest, ZSJ faces Tanahashi for the British Heavyweight Championship Rev Pro. Tanahashi wins that. They kind of have gone back and forth a lot. It makes sense why they have such incredible chemistry then. Across promotions and over the years, yeah, and... This match was great and just kind of like on the along the lines of like beauty building these long feuds where it's just like, well, I could watch a whole event that's just this match alone. This is definitely one of them. I cannot get over how much Tanahashi and Koda look like a dad and his son, and they are literally five years apart. Like Tana is 42, Koda's 37. Koda looks like he's 22. Like he looks like he's on the varsity swim team. Yeah. He, he must just drink a lot of water. Works out a lot. I drink a lot of water, and I do not look like Koto Ibushi, and he is <laughs> way older than me. <laughs> I guess I, I guess I don't work out. Uh, <laughs> hey, you don't yeah. got that. You don't got his like neck of steel. Okay, we don't have to keep talking about what I don't have. <laughs> well, no, let's do it. I <laughs> don't have the neck of steel. Comparisons. I have uh, no like the packs. Not even close. Like uh, <laughs> not even close. The traps. The lats. I don't know what they are, but I don't. I don't have them. Um, but yeah, this was, this was really, really fun. Uh, there was a moment where Taichi was stretching Koda and ZSJ ran in and trapped Tana in a guillotine. 
like Tana was going in and ZJ just jumps on him and just guillotines him. I really thought that was over. Uh, but it was, it was really cool to see Zach constantly cutting Tana off at the pass when, when Tai Chi's in control. And it was really fun to see them win the titles. They look genuinely like really psyched. Yeah. It's cool to see like, uh, it's cool that heels in new Japan are allowed to show emotion in that way. Yeah. Like that often happens a lot. Like, where switch you we have seen switchblade be excited about things or like happy about things i just i think it's there's nothing wrong with that it's like the same thing as like a heel doing a cool move like there's nothing wrong if the crowd likes the heel you know not every heel has to be baron corbin like in this sense evil went too far this whole time and like he he beat up the commentator who has his little mini evil thing and stuff yeah milano collection agency yeah yeah Made him made him despicable, but there's nothing wrong with like a heel being so cool that audiences start to cheer them. That's how you make baby faces. Every baby yeah. face is just a heel. There's just a lump of coal that you just compress with heat until it becomes a fucking diamond. That being said, <laughs> Evil versus Naito. I wish Naito had held the would have held the belts for longer than he did, and it's like. It's just the story of Naito in New Japan where it's, he was given his moment. I I sort of said this on earlier when we talked about my uh, article, like on a podcast a while ago where I talked about my article in my trip to Tokyo, but yeah, just Naito gets one, he had one title defense before this against Kenta. That match was great and bloody and really good. And then COVID happens. New Japan shuts down. New Japan finally comes back. Naito's the t- the champion, so he doesn't wrestle in the New Japan Cup. He just kind of takes a backseat, is in some good mixed tags, but like ultimately those only really are used to further the matches that are happening in the present moment. So didn't really do anything there. Comes back, has a kind of a... This match was pretty weak, I would say, in terms of Knight, the I, first double champion losing the, the titles. Yeah, so this is his second defense? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't seem right. I, I love the big push on Evil, even though I'm not 100% sure if I'm sold on him as a wrestler uh, at the moment. I'm sold on him as a character. Not that he's bad, because he's had some good, really good matches this tournament, but this was not a, this was not, didn't feel like a big match. Well, and Rocky Romero kept pointing out on commentary that Evil has not had a signature singles win. And same with Kevin yeah. Kelly. Like they, and that's and kind of what I was saying earlier with Sonata being my all- logical choice. Sonata has had some signature singles wins that will be remembered. Right. Evil still hasn't had that. And even in his title win, he doesn't have... He doesn't have a signature match. match. Yeah. yeah. And they, they all... Well, they also pointed out that Naito, he seems like his spirit is broken and that he wasn't there. So maybe there's going to be a rematch where Naito wins it back, um, where Naito is like the guy who won it at Wrestle Kingdom last year. Like he comes back. Do you think that could happen? I That hadn't even occurred to me that he could rematch with evil for it and win it back. I I don't think right now, I don't think it should be wrestle kingdom either, but I think what's another big pay-per-view that happens before wrestle kingdom. Uh, Sakura, Sakura well, Genesis. King of Pro Wrestling's coming. Dantaku. Uh, I could see I it think, happening. I, I don't know. Yeah. But King of Pro Wrestling, I feel like a lot of the times, I don't know. Maybe it could happen there. Book me right now. Your IWGP, heavyweight title match at the next Wrestle Kingdom. Well, cuz we've been so good with predictions. If it's <laughs> I mean if it's two nights again, I I think that if Naito is out of the picture 
and we're not booking Naito to win it back. I, I, if I'm booking it over the next year, I want Naito to win it back soon, like at King of Pro Wrestling in the fall, or book, book, book it however you want. Just tell me what is your IWGP Heavyweight match? What is your Intercontinental Title match? Are they the okay, same? Okay, so if Wrestle Kingdom is two nights, night one Intercontinental Championship match happens. Sonata faces off against Evil. Sonata wins. Night two, Chaos reigns supreme and Okada wins his IWGP title back at Wrestle Kingdom, which I think would So the main event of Wrestle Kingdom is Okada Evil? Okada versus Evil and Evil versus Sonata would be night one's main event. And I think it brings about an interesting thing where it's we we all thought that Sonata was defecting from LIJ, but maybe he becomes the leader of LIJ. And LIJ has always been positioned in this way where they're not really heels, not really faces. They are who they are because the crowd loves them. And it brings about an interesting storyline in that Bullet Club has become so big that maybe LIJ and Chaos both have to work together to take down evil. Interesting. We huh. named all the Bullet Club members, if especially if that... Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows are in it too. There's like 15 or 16 members. I think there's five people in LIJ now. Not a lot that are like... I mean, yeah, a lot of those are like Jado, Gato, Dick yeah, Togo. I, yeah. For me, Bullet Club right now is, you know... I mean, who's there right now? They're barely contenders if you just name the people there. Yujiro, Ishimori, Jado, Gato, Evil... Dick Togo. I so I think evil Taiji Shimori. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Yujiro, yes, but also he's like a completely ancillary person. Who what now, what what is your uh going forward? Do you do you have who do you think should take it off of uh evil? I don't buy evil as like I know they just put the big belts on him, but I I don't buy him as like the main event at night two of Wrestle Kingdom. I just can't buy it. Those matches are always of such a high quality. I just can't. I just can't picture it right now. Um, so you think I, he might drop it beforehand? I think he drops it right before Wrestle Kingdom. You know, the COVID has also thrown a wrench in this too. Cause like Will Ospreay, this I think would have been his year had he not been trapped in England. You also have Switchblade Jay, Jay White, who I can't remember did Ibushi? You probably you might not remember this. It, I wonder if who won between Ibushi and Jay White because whoever that was, I feel like would also have got a push uh, at Wrestle Kingdom in the like I, losers match on night two. I don't know if it's too soon to to put the big belt on Ibushi. If it should be next Wrestle Kingdom and not the upcoming one, but mm-hmm. I would imagine him in the mix. Yes, I would love night two. Wait, no, they already did this. They already did Okada Ibushi at night one last year, right? That was Okada Ibushi? Yeah. Yes. They added one of the matches of the year for sure. Yeah. That like that to me, I was going to say that as the, as the main event, but. Okay. So I, you know how, like when you look up a wrestling match online, like one of the first things that comes up is often people recreating that match on like 2K. That's all I can find <laughs> right now. But according to this, the first result, Jay White won the night two losers match against Ibushi, so there was clearly plans for Jay White in the singles zone. So I wonder how that affected the storylines. I know Thomas said that Evil... There was talk about Evil winning these titles earlier on in the year, like on 
uh, Wrestling Observer Radio. So yeah, I saw that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I I I am if this match oh, if this match had been a banger, I would be like Evil's like main event Wrestle Kingdom. But this was kind of a crappy match. It had is like uh, suffered from classic Cody Rhodes syndrome at the end there. So many cooks in the kitchen, like. And up to that, it wasn't particularly... There was a couple nice moments, but it was kind of a slow plotting match for the most part. Yes. that big. There's the big spot with Naito's knee through the table, which was cool. But yeah, overall, just like... it, it Yeah, just so much interference at the end. Too much interference that was distracting in a way that just made me sad for... Even more sad that Naito lost in this way, where you... I feel I wanted Naito to lose them in like a crazy banger match where it's like, wow, I don't care that he lost them because Sonata took on Naito and took him to the limit and won cleanly. And now Sonata is this new breakout star. We do have this new monster heel in Evil, which I like Evil as a big monster heel. I made that illustration about him. Mostly just because I think he he's and, got a great look. I, I want look to look really cool together. I yeah. want to get him as an action figure and put him in better matches than he, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, than put, he put made your action figure promotion to have better but, matches than his actual matches. Yeah. But I honestly, I would love to see, I don't know if I would love to see evil. Maybe evil loses at night one and then night two, whoever beats evil defends it against like, Oh, loses whoever both wins. Um, I'm not sure. I, I'm not booking the intercontinental right now just cause it's a kind of a variable. I'm just thinking about, Maybe Evil loses night one to Sonata, for example, drops one or both belts, and then the next night Sonata fights whoever won the G one, which oh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, if Sonata beat him for the heavy IWGP heavyweight, uh, and then the winner of the G one faces Sonata, like could be Sonata Okada rematch. That would be very sick. I think that that has big match energy to me. That and that is a good way that is a surprising way to turn Sonata into like a top single star as you know, we, a lot of people that pay close attention to New Japan thought that that's where this was, this whole storyline was going until evil disrupted everything. So that, do you think maybe Sonata could, could actually win the G1? Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. If we're thinking about that, that would be the next most logical thing to think about in terms of like New Japan story is who wins the G1. Sonata, I think, is a potential winner. Yeah. It's at the moment hard for me not to imagine Okada in the main event of Rest Kingdom Night 2. At at the moment, I'm just like, he's the guy. Yeah, well, it's like, it's the comparison we keep making, but it's like, you have Michael Jordan on your roster. Are you going to put him on the bench during the championship? Or are you going to play him? Yeah. It's like, it's like John Cena at the top of his game. It's like, yeah. Stone Cold at the top of his game. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're prop that person's probably going to be in the main event in some possible way yeah so maybe he okada wins it sooner and i, I it could be like you know jay white's transitional win uh he jay, jay white beat tanahashi and then held the belt for maybe a month and a half or a month and then lost to okada so um that could and maybe that would have been the longer story they would have told also if the plan was always to have evil win and beat naito maybe okada was going to win at madison square garden at wrestle dynasty oh, okay like that would have well, made they... sense because then it would be like okada has this undefeated every time he main events madison square garden he wins like that to me makes here's sense. what i would like to see here's the configuration i would like is okada 
night one defeats evil he 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 finds a way to get he earns that title match on night one defeats evil bull club tries to interfere like they always do and they're thwarted by okada maybe okada's friends from chaos and then returning will osprey and then night two the winner of g1 sonata faces off against okada and takes it off okada i like that a lot but it also what does naito do though (laughs) gets a haircut fucking hippie i'm so sad oh i can't believe it this whole project's I feel this whole project in my like journey to Wrestle Kingdom was built around my fandom of Naito and Jushin Thunder Liger. Listen, you had your you had your whole two years. You got the triumphant moment where he won, and the camera cut to you right away. <laughs> okay, so you're in New Japan history. You got the whole quarantine to think about how much you love Naito, and now no more Naito for you. We're taking away your Naito. Him holding the belt is too much to ask for. On top of all of that, yeah, and that's the bottom line. John, what did you think of my classic match recommendation? Oh my gosh. Just keep recommending me Samoa Joe matches. Uh, this, So this week in the classic match segment, I watched Kurt Angle versus Samoa Joe at TNA Genesis in 2006. One year, about a year after he faces off against Kobashi. I'm guessing that because at the at, at the start of this they talk about how he was undefeated, so I'm guessing that the, Kobashi beats Joe. So I'm guessing that that undefeated streak must have started just after that match. Uh, but yeah, the start of this, the camera hovers over a packed Universal Studios Impact Zone as Samoa Joe stomps his way down to the ring. They scream Joe as the commentators announce that Joe has never been pinned or submitted. Kurt Angle ascends from below the stage, and the crowd comes absolutely unglued, screaming Angle as he swiftly makes his way to the ring. Angle is announced as pro wrestling's only Olympic gold medalist as the bell rings and the crowd begins to boom. This is awesome. The two fight in and out of the ring, with each gaining the upper hand until Angle goes for a spear in the corner, misses, and hits the steel turnbuckle. Joe capitalizes and hits an absolutely brutal suicide dive that knocks Kurt Angle's head into the guardrail. Joe quickly picks Angle up and throws him headfirst into the steel steps. This leaves Angle in a pile on the outside as Joe stomps around the ring. The camera pans back to Kurt Angle, who now has blood pouring from his head. He staggers to the ring and Joe continues to put the hurt on the Olympic gold medalist. He punches and rips at the open wound in an effort to completely destroy Kurt Angle. Joe continues on the offense as Kurt Angle gets a strike in here and there. Joe takes Angle to the top rope and Kurt Angle counters with a reverse swinging DDT. This is followed by a trio of wild belly-to-belly suplexes that crescendo into an Olympic slam that Kurt Angle can't quite pull off. Joe props Angle back up on the top rope and hits him with an avalanche muscle buster. The camera pans back over both wrestlers, out of breath at the center of the ring, both covered the blood of Kurt Angle. They make their way to their feet, and Angle is able to pull off the Olympic slam. He has Joe down as the crowd screams, make him tap. Kurt Angle has Joe's center ring with the ankle lock, but Joe reverses into the coquina clutch. Joe puts the pressure on with a rear naked choke as blood pours from Kurt Angle's head and all over the mat. Then Kurt Angle rolls Joe over into the ankle lock. Joe evades, but Kurt Angle throws down a King Kong Olympic slam to one last ankle lock. 
Blood pours out of Angle's head as he smiles gleefully and wrenches the submission. Joe taps at 1835 as Angle jumps up, pounces his chest, and celebrates with the crowd. The end of this, man. Kurt Angle just like maniacally laughing with blood pouring out of his head with Joe in an angle lock. I I didn't premise this, but I did not like Kurt Angle when I watched WWE. Like I thought he was kind of a dork. Like I didn't you ha- you have to know that every time you tell me you don't like somebody, I will recommend you a match. Well, you can recommend me more angle matches because this was awesome, and I could see why people liked him so much. Well, yeah, because it happened with Rick with Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels. Oh, true. Michaels yeah, yeah. See, but that's the thing. Like a lot of just like like wrestle wrestlers, I just was not like wrestlers. Wrestlers, I just was not into them as a kid, and I didn't think it was cool that this Olympic gold medalist was coming into WWE. I don't know, I, WWF. Like, well, he yeah. was a heel. He was definitely a heel for a while, but when he just like went bald and was fighting Brock Lesnar at uh, oh, WrestleMania yeah, 19, yeah. like I I didn't watch it at that time. I have gone back like, and one of that the, match. That is a great match. Yeah, that's one of the best. So at the end of this, events. Joe cuts a promo and asks for a rematch with Kurt Angle, and Kurt Angle denies the rematch and walks away. And Joe's just like screaming Angle at the end. I can't believe. Also, just seeing this match. How is Joe not used in Angle's retirement? Like, I don't know if Joe's uh, injured then, but even if he wasn't injured. Because Baron yeah, Corbin. Used. And it's like, I know that a lot of the argument is like, well, why the fuck would WWE care about another promotion's matches? But like that to me is what I why I love AEW because and New Japan because both are willing to acknowledge the past that each performer has had. I think they do sometimes like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, that's known as like a long feud. They don't particularly talk about, but they talk about them, them coming yes, up. Yes, well, that's what I mean. Like it's all vague. Game and stuff. It's like, there are adults watching yeah, this who know absolutely the right. story just to tell <laughs> us. Like, I know. Well, where where did Dean Ambrose go? Oh, exactly. Well, anyways, yeah, this match was great. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. If I, rate, I was rating it, I'd give it an A. Uh, yeah, it's so Same. good. Joe was undefeated in impact not oh that's a good point i didn't even really think about the fact that that was ring of honor and not uh impact yeah so he must have started winning pretty much right after he lost that triple three-way dance between him and cd and uh aj styles all right johnny what you got for me bud you were watching all of wrestle kingdom 10 just i'm just kidding you're watching one match from wrestle kingdom 10 (laughs) <laughs> you should once you actually go back and read all of the people all the matches that are on the wrestle kingdom 10 card which i recommend you maybe look up right now uh i think you're gonna just be like i'm gonna sit and watch this whole thing but the match dude i i might actually just, do that like because i've always wanted to watch more wrestling it's games. the second match or second uh event in new japan history that has english commentary and you will be watching the never open weight title match against our MVP from the New Japan Cup of 2020, Tomohiro Ishii, versus Katsuyori Shibata in a hard-hitting classic that this, I, you're going to love. I know this you're is awesome. I I love this because I've seen like almost no Shibata matches, and he's been popping a, up a lot in the history of New Japan, and so I really did want to catch up with him. I love learning more about people. It's like uh, liking Yoshihashi. Like, I was happy when I was like, oh, I sort of get Yoshihashi now. Uh, but also learning more about how much Goto had won the New Japan yeah. Cup. 
and stuff and wanting to watch more of his matches. So that's a that's a and, great and what, great suggestion. And one of the other reasons the, I kind of was thinking about the having you recommending you a never belt or never open weight match is because of how New Japan's been booking that belt too. The one thing that we did mention earlier during the show and Shingo match, isn't it interesting that like the never belt has now become like the second most important belt in New Japan because the double champion holds both belts. So by nature, the next belt you could win is the never belt. And it's That's a belt that sometimes goes away and kind of is forgotten. But right now, I feel like is the is one of the most important belts. And it's cool to look back on its history with this Shibata Ishii match. Honestly, the way that New Japan does it, it doesn't feel like they have a top title, a secondary title, and then like a, a tertiary title. It feels like they have a top title, which is the NJPW. They have a top title for... Um, Tag teams. I mean, sort right. of. Sort of. Yeah. And then they have their mid-card titles, which are all the same, and they just have different stipulations. So... It's a good point. Yeah. It, well, they're not all the same, sorry. Uh, well, they all are sort of. Like, the Intercontinental, that's your that's your secondary belt. The US title is the secondary belt for, like, Gaijin, basically. Right. Like, Americans. And then the Never Openweight belt is the secondary belt for when you want to cross... Super Weight juniors classes. and yeah. yeah, exactly. And heavyweights. But I think you're going to want to start this match. I think when you start watching Shibata versus Ishii, if you jump into the Wrestle Kingdom 10 event, you'll probably just want to finish it. Cause the match after that's Nakamura versus AJ Styles, which is one of my, after, one of my favorite matches of all time. And then the match after that is Okada versus Tanahashi, which so, I would love to see. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I see Makabe on the poster. I see, Hiroki. Oh, Kushida faces off uh, against Kenny Omega also. Dude, dude, I would love to watch this. Let me know if you want to sync up and watch. Yeah, maybe we could sync up and watch the whole thing together. I've I've honestly rewatched this whole pay-per-view a lot. Yeah, man, we could talk about Uh, it on the next show. Yeah, that maybe that's a good idea. Because there's not a a big NJPW. uh... No, just in the coming week. Next next episode will be... Talking very probably very briefly about the WWE horror show. I uh, are we we're gonna are we gonna watch Just, that? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, we always watch WWE reviews together. But I don't. I can't imagine. I mean, we didn't really talk about um, the card. Has the potential the last to be a sleeper was. hit. It could be good, yeah. Uh, but, but also has a couple stipulation matches that I'm like, just I just want to see Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio fight. Like, please do not remove one of their eyes. Someone's eyes coming out, and it's yeah. going to be weird. And I'm Bray versus I'm, Braun I'm in a swamp match. That's going to probably, hopefully, will not be corny, but I imagine will be. And then uh, Drew versus Dolph, which honestly. Just to just to wrap all this episode up in a in a big bow, we first were talking about the Intercontinental Title um, special. I had never seen any Dolph Ziggler matches that didn't happen when it was like well established that he was past his like prime. Not necessarily as a wrestler, but certainly as a booked character. Like mm-hmm. if he had was going to ascend to the top, it would have happened by now, basically. So he's like perennial mid Carter. But to watch him like a, a little bit of a younger Dolph in these Intercontinental Title matches. I actually question in one of the in one of the write-ups is Dolph the best Intercontinental Champion of all time? And obviously, no, he absolutely is not. But if you just watch this special, you might think that that might be a takeaway. Yeah, um, interesting. But that's also like we established uh, a special that does not have Chris Jericho in it, who is also one of the greatest Intercontinental Champions ever, along with Shawn Michaels, Bret, Bret Hart, yeah. Mister Perfect, all the ones you think of. 
This has been another episode of the Torture Racked Podcast. You can follow my co-host, John F. Malta, at John F. Malta on all social media. You can follow me, Mark Bast, at Waste of Taste on Instagram. You can follow us at Torture Racked on Instagram. We've arrived to the end where I never prepare anything. I always never know what to say. Step into the world of Torture Act. <laughs>